Now that you have found your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Thank you for standing as we open the Word of God to read it together this morning. We're continuing the series on 2020 vision, and we're sharpening our focus on a vision for the home today, a vision for the home. And I just felt, especially after reading this passage, that we should give a little bit more attention than perhaps in years past to this whole thing called singlehood, and I think you'll see that within the text as well. But let's talk about a vision for marriage and how that might relate to whether or not you are married or single this morning. He says, concerning those things, this is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, concerning those things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Father, we thank you for this, not only permission, but instruction as to how to live a life that would bring glory to you. Lord, as we begin to dissect some of the elements that Paul touched on in this chapter, I pray that you would bring us to a place in life where we are joyfully content with who we are, where we are. But at the same time, we are passionately pursuing the plan you have for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I told the story to our, our men's group that meets for Bible study a, a couple of years ago. Uh, that I uh, wanted to share with the rest of you it was about a men's Bible study, actually, that was taking place in, um, in the state of New York. They, the men were getting together, and they were having a Bible study. And most of the men in this particular congregation were Italian, so at the risk of offending my wife and my sister-in-law, who happened to be here this morning and have Italian blood, uh, I'm going to tell this story anyway. But this this uh, Bible study was taking place, and, and uh, in the midst of the Bible study, the uh, pastor who was leading it just kind of asked... Uh, who had been married the longest, and they found out that, that there was one man at the Bible study who had been married for 48 years. His name was Luigi. Still had the Italian accent and everything, but he, he said, Luigi, what's, what's the secret? What's the best thing you've ever done for your marriage? And he said, well, you know, the best thing I ever did for my marriage, the best thing I ever did for my marriage was on our 40th anniversary I took my wife to Italy. He said, wow, you took her to Italy. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of my dreams, right? We want to go to Italy one day. That's, it's, uh, it would be a great trip. And, he, and Pastor, oh, Luigi, that's awesome. You took her to Italy. Man, you're coming up on number 50. What in the world are you going to do to top that? And he said, oh, I'm going to go, and I'm going to get her and bring her back. <laughs> Well, that's not necessarily the key to a happy marriage. Let me ask you a question. What's your vision for your home? For most couples, it's maintenance only. And often as a church, we reject the culture's rejection of marriage. And even for those of you who are single this morning, let me encourage you, while I will give you some admonishment to enjoy that, Let's be careful we don't reject the culture's rejection of marriage, or don't blindly reject the culture's rejection of marriage. And what I say by that is many times we reject their rejection of marriage, but we can't articulate the purpose of marriage or embrace a vision for it. More specifically, 
this morning as we think about a vision for marriage, we're going to see how that ties in, as does the vision for the church, to our mission, our purpose, what God has created us for, to be about. How, how does marriage fit into God's call on our life? Now, in this context, Paul's obviously answering a question here that the Christians at Corinth had. They had a question about whether or not they should get married and should they invo- be involved, and in, 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 it gets into some of the, the sensual and, and sexuality aspects of marriage. And so, likely, Paul had preached so hard against sexual immorality in this Greco-Roman world at this time, which needed to be done, that some of them were like, well, man, you know, should, should I even get married? Is that ungodly? Is that unspiritual? And so he's kind of answering that question as well. And so we can summarize Paul's answers to the church at Corinth basically a couple of ways. Um, singlehood is something special that can be treasured and be beautiful, but at the same time, marriage has its purpose. And so I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of points this morning and elaborate on each one of those. And I would encourage you to take a few notes, especially perhaps if you are single and plan to stay that way, or if you're single and hope to get married someday. And if you are married, that you understand the importance of developing a vision for your marriage. So first, let's, let's talk about what I call the untethered vision for singlehood. The untethered vision for singlehood. Now, let me explain to a new generation uh, the word tether. Now, because now when you hear the word tether, you think of how you connect your smartphone to your computer. Well, it's kind of tethered together. They're, they're kind of working together, but it's so easily you just unhook it and kind of take it with you. But a tether is really something that is longer. It was actually a tether originally was a chain that held uh, an animal in its particular location. It was tethered to a pole or tethered to a rock. Or some of you have played tetherball. Now, tetherball might be the illustration that some married people feel like they're experiencing, you know, no matter how many people knock that ball around, they're hanging on tight and trying to hang on to the marriage, and you just feel like this world is kind of trying to separate you and beat you all around, and yet you just refuse to let go. And so that may be a better picture of what it means to be tethered together. If you are single, then at this point in your life, you are untethered. And I'm even speaking to our teenagers this morning who know that we're not even ready to think about being married, well, obviously then you are untethered and it should remain so until you are ready and called of God to be married. And so he answers that question in verses 1 and 2, what we read just a moment ago, concerning things you, you asked me about, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, some translations say something different. He says in some translations it's, it's interpreted that it's good if you remain single or unmarried. It's good for a man not to marry a woman. Be careful about that, and I'll explain that later when we talk about marriage. Um, the translation here in the Greek language, it really is the word touch. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. But what did he mean by that? Uh, likely he meant not to be involved in sexually immoral behavior. And if, he goes on to explain, you're not called to be married, then it's good to kind of stay that way. Then he says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. So he gives us one of the purposes that we'll touch on for marriage in just a moment. 
Now, there is no evidence. Paul, by the way, happens to be speaking on God's authority, not his own. And then he gives some advice from time to time. He says, you know, in, in my opinion, here's, here's what I'm saying. But here he's speaking on God's authority, but there's no evidence that the apostle Paul had ever been married himself. And so Paul can speak with authority on contentment in singlehood. Verse 7, he even says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that manner. And as he begins to break down in later uh, verses in this chapter, the calling, God's call on your life and being able to be involved in ministry, we can discern from this very text that Paul had taken full advantage of singlehood and said, you know what, I am untethered, I have a vision, I can just kind of take off and go and do anything to serve and glorify God at any time. Now, it's not a matter of holiness. Paul explains that as he develops this text as well. It's not that marriage is some kind of sacrament and you're more right with God if you're married than if you're single. You can be married or single and be right in the middle of the will of God, or you could be married or single living in immorality and unholiness. But what he's saying is don't waste the opportunity. So if you'll just look down several verses with me, and we'll pick up the context again in verse 32. He says, but I want you to be without care, to be without worry, if you will. He says, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Now, he's not saying that if you are married, you don't have time for Jesus. <laughs> By the way, that's the most important relationship, even if you are married, your relationship with Christ. But he who is married, verse 33, cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. In other words, you have taken on more responsibilities when you become married. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin, the unmarried woman, cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how, me, how she may please her husband. She has a new responsibility. God has placed this man in her life as well. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. He's saying here is something about the untethered vision of singlehood, as long as it may last, whenever it may come in your life. One thing about it is you can serve the Lord without distraction. Now, again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that if you have a family, that's a distraction. What I'm saying is if you have a family, that's your first and foremost mission is to your family. That's who God's called you to minister to first. If you are not married, if you are single, then you have a certain freedom to be about God's work, God's mission, in so many other venues without those added responsibilities. Consider some of the reasons for singlehood today. Some people are, are single by choice. There's, there's kind of two groups of people. Those are they're single by choice, and those that feel like they didn't have a choice. I'm going to call that a cross. Those that are single by choice really fall into a couple of categories. There are those that don't know the Lord or either have so backslidden from him and gotten so far away from the Lord that they choose to be single, even though they're involved in all kinds of 
sexual promiscuity. They choose to be single because they're scared to death of a commitment, and they're saying, I'm not going to make a commitment. I'm never going to get married. I'm just going to be a ladies' man. I'm just going to do my thing. You know, usually it's, I have to pick on the guys. Usually it's the men that are afraid of commitment. Girls kind of dream of that wedding day, right? But, but they're, they're fellows, and they're just worldly-minded, afraid of commitment, don't want to be tied down, and yet they're still involved in the sensual things of this world. And so their choice is, to, let's just don't get married. Sometimes it means let's live together, but let's not get married. And then there are those who make the choice because what Paul describes in this passage, they have a spiritual gift. Jesus even elaborated on that when he was asked about marriage, that there were certain that were eunuchs, not because of uh, the fact that something happened physiological, but because they had a gift. It was a choice. And their choice is not one where they devalue commitment, but they have an unusual gift of self-control, and they simply have no desire to get married, and they love the fact that they can just take off and go halfway around the world and serve the Lord if need be. It's a gift from God. I believe one thing that happens in our culture today, and I'm sad to say this, and it needs to stop, is when we see a young man or a young woman, and they have this gift, they have no desire to date, there's going to come a, a group of kids along or, or, or young adults along, and they're going to point, they're going to make fun, and they're going to say, well, you must be gay. And unfortunately, a lot of people respond to that statement by making some destructive decisions for their life when all along they really had a gift from God called singlehood. They had the ability the young man had ability just not to have to be chasing after. You know, you know young men, sometimes I used to call them, they said, We're, they're like dogs chasing cars. They never stop and think, what would I ever do with one if I caught it? You know? And, and so there are certain young men, young ladies who say, I don't need that. I don't need a relationship in my life. I don't have to have a girlfriend. I don't have to have a boyfriend. I am content. I am cool. I don't have to be married. God's given me a gift. And he says, if that's you, great, wonderful, celebrate it. That's a choice. But there are others that are single, not because of a choice they've made, but because of a cross they feel that they're having to bear. I'll break this cross down four different ways. Sometimes that cross is the cross of delay. God is saying in your life, you're not ready yet. For a lot of our young people, that's obviously what he's saying, right? You're not ready yet. Delay. Song, Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 4, says, Do not awaken love before it pleases, before it's time. Don't rush into this thing called commitment. And so you need to take full advantage, full opportunity of this thing called singlehood because the timing just isn't right. God is saying, you're not ready. Young men, young ladies, especially those of you in high school, early in the college years, Take time right now, rather than finding out who Mr. or Ms. Wright is, take time to say, no, I'm going to work on me being who God's called me to be. I want to become the man of God, or I want to become the woman of God, because you'll never be great in a relationship until you are great in your walk with God, until you are who God's called you to be in relationship to him. So some of you are carrying that cross of delay, and, and I want to encourage you this morning, don't waste your time fretting. Don't waste your time fretting. Take full advantage of this opportunity to draw close to God, to do things for him that you can't do. You know, when you're in high school and you're in college, you get opportunities to go places to experience things in life that, that may not come again for a while after you get married. And so take full advantage of those opportunities while you can. The second D word I'll place under this category is some 
are carrying a cross because of drought. <laughs> Simply because of drought. And sometimes I pray for some of my dear brothers in Christ that are my age that are going through this. They're old enough. They feel ready. But for some reason, some unexplainable reason, they're still carrying the cross of singlehood. And, and by the way, it's okay during this drought to look for the right one. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. So that meant he was out looking for a good wife. We see that in the Old Testament stories of how they would go out and look for the right one, the one God had for them. Yeah, God could supernaturally bring them into their lives, but often and usually, and I think the, the biblical model was for the guy to initiate the process and looking. But, but finding the right one sometimes leads folks for some reason, some unexplainable reason other than it's a cross that God has called some to bear. It leads some into this season of drought where they have a hard time finding the right one. Who is, where is she? Why am I still single? And I don't know why I'm carrying this cross. It's not okay to waste singlehood while you're looking. It's okay to look. But it's not okay to waste singlehood while you're looking. Even if you're older and single and don't want to remain single, during that season of life, you need to say, but Lord, what do you have in store for me now? See, when I graduated college, I didn't say, wow, I graduated college and I'm not married. I can't believe I'm not married. I graduated college and while I was in college, I didn't meet her. What's wrong with me? Actually, I graduated college. I said, God, what's next? He said, I'm calling you to seminary. Okay, I'm going to seminary. How did I meet Tina? Not by sitting at home saying, okay, well, I'm going to wait till I get married someday. But because I said, God, what is your call on my life? And in the path of me following God's call on my life, he took me to North Carolina. I always joke about the fact that he had to get me out of Madison County because I'd have been kin to anybody else. But he took me to North Carolina. I'm in a Bible study. Meet one of her roommates who goes back and says, Tina, I met your husband tonight. Isn't that amazing how God works? Now, I'm, I'm so grateful for my time at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary there in Wake Forest, North Carolina. But I don't think that was the most important reason God had me switch from my original plans to go west and end up going east. I think it was God said, you walk with me, and I'm going to bring her into your path, the right place, at the right time. And so don't waste being single saying, okay, I'm going to spend all of my time during this drought trying to find Mr. Right or Miss Right. While you're in that season of drought, get involved in what God has you to be involved in. My sister met her husband on a mission trip. If you're single, here's wonderful news for you. You can pretty much go on a mission trip anytime you get ready to. Isn't that awesome? If you're, if you're married, if I tell Tina, baby, I, I, I've got to break some news to you. Um, I'm leaving next Monday, and I'm going to Haiti for two weeks. Now, she loves Jesus with all of her heart. And she loves me, and she trusts me, but she's going to look at me, and she's going to say, no, you're not. Not a, you didn't give me time to prepare. And here's what we've got. If you're single, you can do that. 
Now, I don't resent that. I'm going to get to that, how, how God marvelously works that together. But, but if you're single and you're going through a season of drought, still walk in God's will and let him bring what he wants to bring into your life when he wants to bring it into your life and trust God even in that drought. Now, here's the next one. I don't even like to use this word, but it's the word death. It's the word death. Paul addresses the widows and the widowers. The sweetest times of brokenness. Does that even make sense? Only by the grace of God. The sweetest times of brokenness I've experienced as a pastor is when I'm with a member of my flock, God's flock, and they're saying goodbye to a spouse forever. And I've done that with several in here. That is the, it is a sweet time as we say goodbye to someone who is stepping into eternity in the presence of Christ. It is a time of brokenness because I know as a pastor that I do not know how you feel. And I would not come in those moments of crisis and for one second say, oh, well, you know what? I, I know how you feel. I don't know how you feel. And so that is a cross that some have to bear for a season. It is a cross that some end up bearing for a long time. And what does Paul say about being in that situation? You have to go all the way down to the end of the chapter, verses 39 and 40. A wife is bound by law, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So, so what does he say? If, if you lose a spouse... There's something that was mentioned in this video. It was kind of funny at the time, but it's absolutely true. In heaven, Jesus said to those Sadducees that were arguing, remember the story that the Sadducees brought up, well, what about this uh, woman who was married to a man and he died and she married his brother and he died and married the next one and he died and she was married to seven brothers and then, all right, in the resurrection, you believe in the resurrection? In the resurrection, she gets to heaven. Whose wife will she be? Thought they had him and he said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. There's not going to be marriage and giving in marriage in heaven. We will long to see our spouse that precedes us in heaven, I think, but it's as a brother or sister in Christ when we get there. We will be known as we were known. We'll know, yeah, on earth we were married, but in heaven we will have the consummation of all the ages where the bride of Christ is renewed in that being joined together with a bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. And he's the first one we'll be ready to see, even over our spouse. We'll be there to see Jesus. And then we'll see those we knew and those we were even married to. But it won't be marriage in heaven. And so he says, you're free, if you lose a spouse, to remarry. It's not a sin to remarry, but he goes on, he says, but she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment. You say, well, then is this scripture, is this true? Yeah, it's true. It's true that this is Paul's judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. He says, I believe the Holy Spirit is leading me to tell you something. That is, if, same thing, by the way, he didn't change his story. The same thing he said to people who had never married. He says, if you can stay single, then stay single. 
But if God's called you to be married, then you're, it's okay to remarry when you lose a spouse. Just be led of the Holy Spirit. And don't judge those who make a different decision than you. Some are called of God to remarry. After that, some are not. And God will give you the peace and direction there. And then here's the next word that he deals with in this context, especially verses 12 through 16. He deals with the subject of divorce. Now, I said death is a difficult word to use. The fact of the matter is, my mentor, Dr. Bill Bennett, has said that divorce is death without a funeral. And some of you who have experienced that would say, Pastor, you're right. If I could say anything to the next generation, is that's the most difficult thing in the world to go through. And God has said, Marriage is one man for one woman for a lifetime. So first of all, we need to avail ourselves to every spiritual resource to save our marriage. Jesus said there was only one grounds for divorce, did he not? Adultery. Now look at verses 12 through 16. Verses 12 through 16, he said, But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Because some of them were thinking about a situation, wait a minute, one of us gets saved, the other one's not, we're unequally yoked. It could be the other way around, verse 13, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. So even in a situation where one spouse is a born-again child of God and the other one is not, he's saying, that's not grounds for divorce. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now, they're what? They're holy. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't think Paul is teaching, nor am I, that, well, as long as one spouse is saved, then the, the other and the children are all going to heaven. What he's saying is there's not some automatic corruption because a believer is married to an unbeliever because one of them got saved during the marriage or something. And, and so don't say, well, they're not even a Christian, so it's time for me to get out of here. That's, he's definitely not giving permission for that. He even goes on to say, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage to such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, if you have an unbelieving spouse, your mission is to try to lead them to faith in Christ. But if they leave, you can't really do anything about that. And even in the matter of adultery, what Jesus said was the only grounds for divorce, adultery, even in that matter, he says that's because, Matthew chapter 19, that's because of the hardness of your heart that there are cases, and, and you know of situations, I, I know of situations where marriages even survived that because God melted the heart and brought about restoration. If you've experienced divorce, it's a tough thing, and again, I cannot say that I know how you feel. But let me give you three words to kind of hold on to if that's something you've gone through. The first one is closure. Closure. And by that, I don't, I don't mean to say that you ever kind of get over this, but by closure, I mean ask yourself the question, before you consider remarriage, before you consider remarriage, ask yourself the question, have we exhausted every possible resource to restore this marriage? Now, if they've already remarried, guess what? You probably have. 
If they're involved in adultery, they, they just refuse to let that adultery go again and again. Paul says there's a freedom there. doesn't say that you have to divorce them. He just says there's a freedom. Closure. Be sure every resource has been exhausted. The people of God have been praying. Church discipline has been exercised. You name it. Second, counsel. Counsel. I know this is hard to believe, but every, every marriage and remarriage has its baggage. Listen, we don't even have to have been married before to bring baggage into a marriage relationship, right? And so you have to work through that and find that counselor, that, that's, that person who gives you, and be careful of just anybody who calls himself a counselor or even a Christian counselor, but find that person who will give you biblical insight in all the steps that have to be taken before you're at that place of freedom in Christ. Get that kind of counsel, get that kind of accountability in your life. And let me say this, and this is a very unpopular statement, but for the, these two last cases of singlehood, for the widowed as well as the divorcee, God's standard for purity is the exact same as it is for these teenagers sitting over here. I've had folks tell me, well, I'm in my 70s now and I ought to be able to do what I want to do. Not the case. God's standard, what God calls sexual immorality, what God says is faithfulness, is the same for anybody, a divorcee, a widow, a widower, as it is for these teenagers over there. Keep yourself pure, undefiled, walking with Jesus until God says it's time to be reunited in a marriage. Closure, counsel, and third, contentment. Contentment. What do I mean contentment? The same thing I would tell these kids. If you can't be content in a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's nobody that you can ever marry that will make you happy. That's the problem with a lot of marriages today. They, they put everything in their spouse. If I'm not happy, it's my wife's fault. If I'm not happy, it's my husband's fault. Listen, if you can't be content in Christ and in Christ alone, no spouse. Do not give your husband, ladies, a Messiah complex. No man can be your source, only the Lord Jesus Christ. Men, don't blame your unhappiness on your wife. Find contentment in him. And if you're single, you'll never be ready to be married or remarried until you can get to a place where you say, I am content in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it's his will for me to make a choice, or if it's his will for me to carry a cross, I'll do what he's called me to do. Are you struggling with any of that, single friends? Listen, I, I, I can tell already, it's, uh, I don't need to get into my second point this morning. Um, you know why? Because I need to spend about twice as much time there as I spent on singlehood. Next week, we'll come back and we'll look at the uncorrupted vision for marriage. The uncorrupted vision for marriage. But I, I feel led at this moment to kind of bring this thing to a conclusion. The untethered vision for singlehood. And if you are married and happily married, teach these biblical principles to your children, to your grandchildren. If you're struggling, maybe you would say, Pastor, I, I am lonely and I can't stay. Listen, young men, find an older man that can pray for you and pray you through that situation. Young ladies, find an older lady, that Titus 2 woman who says, I'll pray with you through this time of loneliness. But I want to encourage those of you this morning, 
from middle school all the way up to senior adulthood. Discover God's mission, God's plan in singlehood. And if you're married, be a blessing to somebody who's struggling with that. Will you bow your heads with me?